Well, off the weekend, we are back in on the Fight Free Chew Night recap podcast. Good to be with you. I am merely the somewhat competent host. TJ Reeves, he is our insider, our content partner. Fight Free Chew Night is his substack. He also collaborates not only in this podcast, but with us on BigFightWeekend.com. Hello, Dan Rayfield. Hello, TJ uh, Reeves. Good to be with you. Good to be Liam Beefy Smith off this weekend. Good to be Tim Zhu, who has a fight deal, even though Jamel Charlo is injured. Uh, good to be a lot of people. So good to be back with you uh, on the show. Thank you for finding us to the audience, however you did so. Whether it is a social media link, as we like to say, Dan Substack, as we mentioned, BigFightWeekend.com website. Whatever the case is, hopefully you're following, subscribing, because you get the preview show headed into the weekend, obviously, uh, where we set things up, set the table. You usually get that by Friday morning, Friday midday. And then we are back off the weekend, usually overnight Sunday into Monday with the recap. You get twice the Ray feel for the same price twice here the on the podcast. Yeah, twice the Reeves, but they want you. They love you. And, but the and price we, is we free, why. though. You know what I mean? Well, it's it's worth every penny you pay for it. Although we've been doing <laughs> uh, very well with the audience. We've been doing very well generally with the uh, predictions and the picks and the Bet U.S. Uh, boxing show Reeves a little bit Ray feel not so much this past week we're gonna get into that with recaps coming up but by the way they need to follow and subscribe tell them why again and then we've also got we're bri we're bribing them but tell them why well, they need to follow and subscribe well if they they follow if they follow and subscribe TJ as you know and all of our loyal fans know they get a bell a ding a banner a light a vibration a buzz something as we always like to say that tells you new Ray feel out with TJ, trying to swat TJ. Uh, so do that. And we're bribing them because several people have rated and reviewed since we put this out there. Rate us and review us on Apple Podcast. Take a screenshot of it. I'm being specific here. And you've got to tag us. And several of you have done that. Tag Dan and or tag Big Fight Weekend where we can see the rating or review. That helps us. And you've got some cool souvenir cups. Just real quick, one more time. Tell them. What we're giving away at the end we're of January. Give away. So I go to, I've been to a many, many fights. Went to Cade was the title sponsor. They would have a lot of their signage and souvenirs and all kinds of stuff around the fights. And they would always have, if you go to the concession stand and bought a uh, adult beverage, maybe even a soda, you would get it in a cup that was adorned with the artwork of the fight. And I would mm -hmm. collect a few of them after the fact. And I have a whole bunch of them from a bunch of different great fights. I have, I got to go through specifically and pick out which ones, but there's Canelo fights and Jacobs fights and Triple G fights and, you know, Pacquiao fights and Mayweather fights, all kinds of fights that I got to go and see what I got extras of. Roman Gonzalez fights, you know, the Superfly fight. So I'm going to pick out a couple and I'm going to send them to the winner of our contest. That's but beautiful. to leave the review and take a screenshot. And let that's the important part. Let us see that you left the review. Otherwise, we don't know how to find you. If you just simply reviewed in January, and again, this is for anybody that's reviewed us in January. We'll do the drawing at the end of the month. We're bribing you. Understand that we understand. We're bribing you. But you got to help us out because we can't find you if you have like Hanky Panky 23 as your <laughs> handle, for example, on Apple Pie. I can't find you. We got to have a All way to right. find they know, you. They're so, smart. They know how to do it. Let's get into right. it. All right. Let's get into it. Okay. Uh, so did we or did we not say potential for firework, fireworks, if I can get it out, of the boxer promotions, Wasserman Boxing, co-promoted main event, Chris Eubank Jr., son of the legendary fighter from the 90s in the UK, Liam Beefy Smith from a, a family of fighting Smiths that have been world champions and or championship contenders. And Liam Beefy Smith ends up scoring a, a big-time KO uh, that is really a punctuation mark here for him right now. A surprise. He was a slight underdog. All right, Dan, your thoughts as this one ended abruptly in the fourth round with Smith getting the TKO. First of all, congratulations to Liam Smith. It was a great victory for him. I, I was looking at his record, and when he won his world title years ago against Thompson, it was like a good win because he got the title, but it wasn't like against a, a super big name. I was looking at the record. I have to say this might be his best win of his whole career, which is going on 15 years. Now he's, you know, he's lost to Canelo by knockout, which cost him his first title. He has a decision loss and a title uh, opportunity against Jaime Munguia back in 2018. He's got two wins over Liam Williams, who's been a good fighter. He's got, uh, you know, he's got a win over a, a, somewhat faded and also much heavier than his best weight against Jesse Vargas got to win against Anthony Fowler, but you put them all together. And, and I feel like this actually, because of when it came in his career, uh, the way that he accomplished a knockout with a very spectacular sort of knockout that it might very well be in his 15 year career, 
maybe his best victory. But I have to say, if you if you asked anybody that had an opinion about the fight, I think we all could certainly see Liam Smith getting the victory. That was not uh, a shocker, frankly. But if he was going to get the win, most people would have viewed it as he's going to go and get the, either if he's going to get a stop, it's going to definitely be late in the fight or probably going to be an, an, a decision because whatever you want to say about Eubank, he's always shown a good chin. He's been in with some good punchers and he's been in with some good fighters. And Liam Smith did not look very good in his last fight, mm-hmm. uh, which was his first time fighting at 160, where, you know, he scored a fourth round, a fourth round TKO in that fight, but looked kind of bad, to be quite honest with you. Um so look, it's a, it was a big win for him, and it's going to set him up for a big business, as he said. He can now he's in the picture for anything that's significant at 160. He can still and fight at 154, which is his natural weight class. If there's an opportunity in that division, he could go back and uh, and do that. I've seen, uh, you know, uh, one thing people should know is that Eubank does have the right to an immediate rematch from their contract. So it's up to him whether he's going to exercise it. If he does, there'll be a second fight. Um, I saw stuff maybe like Kel Brook was talking about. Maybe he wants to come out of retirement and fight oh. him. Uh, you know, Liam would love an opportunity to fight for the titles, the two belts that Golovkin has. Uh, you know, there, there's going to be something big for him. And, and this fight also did probably very good business in the UK. They had a sold-out arena. I have to suspect that the, the way Sky knows how to market their events, that it probably did a pretty nice pay-per-view number, that they're going to make a lot of money. And uh, look, it wasn't like a great fight to that point. It was just sort of heating up, you know, they hadn't really thrown or landed too many punches. The first three rounds, I felt like you could have a two-to-one either way. Uh, certainly, Chris Eubank had a very, very good third round. He definitely yes. won the third, landed a whole bunch of clean uppercuts and uh, felt like uh, he had taken control at that moment. And come the fourth round, Liam let those shots go, and uh, he just hit him with a shot he never really saw. And he, There you he go. There you go. And I think I think he got hit with the uppercut a couple times in the third round, and it's almost like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe try to get him back with the same punch. And I'm right with you, a uh, spectacular uppercut that Eubank never saw, and I don't think ever recovered from. What did you think when he got up? He was so unsteady, staggering to the middle of the ring. I would have been fine with the referee. I know it would have caused controversy in the moment, but I would have been fine with the referee, Victor Laughlin. Uh, or Lachlan, however you pronounce it, saying that's it. Because he he was on the verge of being out on his feet where he could take a serious shot that could seriously injure him. I just, I, what was your take on that? Well, a couple of things. Number one, the uppercut was a crushing uppercut. I actually thought, though, uh, a couple of punches before that, it was really the left hand that caught him on the chin that started the damage, that started the uh, discombobulation, if you will. And then in the series of punches that Liam continued to throw, that uppercut uh, definitely did some damage. Also, he had a big welt under his eye. When he got up, you know, he got up so quick on the second, you know, he got knocked down, which was the uppercut and all the punches we just talked about. He jumped up very quickly. As you mentioned, the legs were shot. I'm glad the referee let it go on because, you know, you pay attention close on that. It was still very early in the fight. He's in great condition. I didn't feel like he's in any kind of serious danger. And on that kind of fight, you have to have a conclusive ending if there's a knockout. I I couldn't deal with like the next, you know, six months of him bullshitting about quick stoppage. Right. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like a definite call that he could have stopped the fight or that, that he should have stopped the fight. It was an opinion from some that, yeah, he probably could have stopped the fight. In this particular instance, I'm glad he let it go just a few more seconds to get the definitive so knockout. So one more, one more point on that, because the referee, Lachlan, pointed to the right like the referees had begun to do, and Eubank had no legs when he was walking in the middle of the ring. And that's where it made me go, oh. And then from the Sky Sports broadcast, which I have seen – and heard they were talking about at that point Roy Jones was up on the apron beside of the, beside them ready to throw the towel and then the right hand kind of lands glancing from Liam Smith he's he's wailing a couple of other punches and clearly Eubank has no legs and then we almost had a circus Dan Rayfield <laughs> where, where Eubank doesn't realize because he's concussed I guess the fight is stopped and so Liam Smith has his back to Eubank celebrating, putting his arms up, and Eubank's ready to square off again. And it was it was it one of the brothers or one of the corner men it came was... and actually wrapped him up in a in a comforting, not a violent bear hug like Chris. It's over, brother. Just you it know, was, it's over. It Let actually, the doctors get in here. It was Liam's trainer that did that, and then quickly thereafter, Roy Jones was in there also, and the referee also to just make sure that he didn't do that. Uh, he bounced up Eubank on the second knockdown, which is when the referee stopped the fight. He actually got up so quickly that Victor Laughlin, the referee, hadn't even started his count yet. That's how quick he was up. But obviously, he almost fell over uh, when he got up the second time, more so than the first time. 
And of course, at that moment, they have to stop the fight. But like you said, he didn't really realize it at first. It was a little bit kind of a weird ending like that. Uh, but uh, look, it was a it was a, a big win. Uh, it was such a nasty buildup with the with the words that they exchanged in the in the very personal insults where, you know, you have mm-hmm. you have uh, Chris Eubank, uh, you know, dumping all over Liverpool as, uh, you know, this disastrous place to live. And, you know, they took that kind of personal. He started talking about how he has, uh, you know, knows that 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 Liam Smith's cheating on his wife and. William Smith is back at him, you know, accusing, uh, not accusing him, but basically telling him uh, strongly inferring that he might be a gay, which like, who cares, frankly, but besides the point, um, it was just a very like in the gutter kind of promotion when it got down to these guys going at each other. So once that happened, I was glad to see when it was over. I'm not going to say these guys are going to be the best of friends, but you know what? I give you bank credit. He's, you know, he's a big talker, but when it was over, he went over to him. He congratulated him. He yes, didn't he make did. excuses. He said, look, I could have continued. I felt it's up to the referee. You know, if we want to do a rematch, we'll do a rematch. But he didn't, you know, cry and moan in the ring. And uh, I appreciate that. I mean, I hate when guys bitch and moan and, and make just ridiculous excuses. I've seen it way too many times. So say what you want about Eubank and, and his uh, kind of pompous nature at times, sort of like his old man a little bit in that regard. But look, he got clipped. He got knocked out. I'm not going to dump on him. He gave an effort. He was willing to take the guy on. And, uh, you know, he he lost the fight fair and square, and he did not make excuses. I mean, maybe he will in the future, but at least in terms of on the night of the fight, uh, he came in to the interview. He put his arm around him. He said yep. congratulations. And that's what you like to say, sportsmanship. I mean, it's unfortunate they had to go where they went in the preview stuff uh, before the match, but at least when it was over, they were both uh, uh, respectful and courteous and, uh, you know, Maybe we'll see it again. I suspect we probably will see it again. I think we will because Liam Smith will realize I'm the A-side. I'll get a little more money now. Probably a lot more money. Maybe the fight's in Liverpool, his hometown. Uh, Well, the one good thing about the Manchester fight was they were fighting on neutral territory, if you will. Not either one of them is from Manchester. If you're Liam Smith, I dictate now. If you want that thing in Liverpool, get it in Liverpool. and Well, we don't know what the contract says. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, that's true. What does the contract say? Or in boxing, they just make it up, no matter if there's a contract or not. But I'll tell you one thing, though, TJ, for a non-title fight, I mean, that, you know, that atmosphere was a 10. I agree yeah, with you. We it can't overstate even, it. That it was, was a great atmosphere. Fight. Yeah, that was a great atmosphere. Not an eliminator, not yeah. a regional title, not a British title, a European title, a Commonwealth title, not a world title, not an interim title. None of that. Just a good old fashioned sort of grudge match between two Brits. And, uh, you know, there's something to be said for that. You don't need all the all the nonsense. They made a big event and didn't have to have straps involved at all. So. You know, we would we just don't see that in this country. Very rarely do you see a, a a fight of that magnitude where there's nothing at stake, not even an elimination fight or some kind of something and uh, whatever. In this case, you know, they've been able to do that. I mean, when Amir Khan and Kel Brook had their fight last year, there was no titles at stake. There was no eliminations or anything. It was just grudge match between two fi- you know fighters with a following that people had wanted to see fight. But the interesting thing, though, and I kept thinking about this. Con and Brooke was like, everybody knew it's the end of the road for both guys. It had been put off for so many years. People still wanted to see it, and they had to get it done before they could finally call it quits. In terms of Chris Eubank and Liam Smith, remember, everybody was all hyped and pumped about seeing Chris Eubank take on Connor Ben. It was mm-hmm. only when Connor Ben had to be forced out of their match in October because of the failed drug test that it sort of left Eubank and his people looking for a big name, some kind of other big fight they could make for him in the UK. And Liam Smith was there and willing to, to, to do the fight, to stay at 160 and make the match. And so it kind of maybe wasn't as big as the Ben fight, but it kind of organically grew and became like a big deal in the UK and uh, as the as the backup plan, so to speak. And, uh, you know, what do I say? I've said this before, fights make fights. So yes. this, this case, it was a fight that didn't make, meaning the Connor Ben fight against Eubank that allowed this fight to happen. They had such a resounding response. That's why even with a, a big knockout like that, without a title at stake or anything along those lines, uh, we probably will see it again because he did have the rematch clause. So uh, it'll be another big event if they do it again. All right, undercard. Let's go over that here for a couple of moments. Uh, Richard Riakapur is the cruiserweight. We figured I got corrected enough on the pronunciation off the Bet US show, et cetera. <laughs> Unbeaten, impressive stoppage for him. He landed some big shots on Christoph Glowacki, um, the former cruiserweight champion. What was he like WBO champion or whichever belt? I know you two time. Know. He had two, two time. He was two the champion. All right. So how impressed were you with Riakapur and what does that mean now uh, for him in the future after he gets the TKO and the co-feature? Yeah, I mean, I was impressed because he did what he was supposed to do against a guy with a good name. But if you remember when we were doing our bet us show on Friday, 
and we didn't have an official pick on this mm-hmm. fight, but we did get a question from one of the viewers about it. And I made the point that I could see it ending early if Gulachi, you know, if he can if he can withstand the early onslaught, he may be able to get him into the late rounds and, you know, with his experience and maybe a guy that isn't used to that kind of fight, uh, have a little success. But I was my concern was that that he would get stopped early. And the reason I said that was because in his recent losses, which were to Myrus Bredas in a world title fight for the WBO belt against Lawrence O'Coley, also for the WBO belt when it was vacant. This is in like 2019, 2021. Bredas stopped him in the third round. O'Coley, not known as like a devastating puncher, stopped him in the sixth round. And uh, he only had one like win against a nobody opponent since then. And so, and, and, his, and Rick Apore, you know, who was a good puncher also, followed suit with what those guys did and basically kept himself on pace to get into that bigger fight. But every younger, and I won't, when I say younger, I mean lesser experience from a professional standpoint because he is 33 years old. He's not a young fighter, but he had never fought anybody at the sort of name level of a Glowaski. And this was the opportunity to get that name on your resume of a former champion, which every uh, up and coming fighter needs to do. Usually he got done what he was supposed to get done. And uh, look, there's there's going to be fights for him because the UK has uh, a bunch of good cruiserweights, including O'Coley, who still has one of the titles. And uh, we'll see where they can go from there. But he's uh, he's in a great position. A great knockout win. Uh, a fan-friendly fighter. He's got the backing of Sky, which is the big daddy over there in terms of the broadcast. And, uh, you know, the the if you were doing like thumbs up, thumbs down for the weekend, like who's on the rise, who's on the fall, you know, uh, Richard Riacopore is certainly on the rise. All right, so I feel a segue, maybe a thumbs down for Joseph Parker, who did get the decision win uh, against Jack Massey, a cruiserweight. Speaking of cruiserweights, that's fought a little bit as a heavyweight, was given up a ton of weight in this fight. Uh, It ends up being a distance fight. Parker deserves the win. I saw most of that, uh, but it was not not a great showing for him. What do you make of that, Dan Rayfield, before we move off this card? Well, I don't give him a thumbs down because, you know, you come back off a devastating knockout after a very grueling fight. Not that long ago in September against Joe Joyce, he took a lot of punishment in that fight. It was a tremendous battle, a nominee for fight of the year uh, from the boxing writers. And to get back on the horse and take that guy on and win with no problem. It's not like he was ever in trouble, was never knocked down, was never, you know, beat up at all in that fight. You know, it was it was an exciting. No, but he won. Clearly, I frankly thought that the scorecards was uh, I'm looking here. 97, 92, 97, 93, 96, 93. One of the uh, the reason for the unusual score was because Massey had a point deducted for holding in round eight. I thought that Joe won actually a little bit wider. So I don't, I wouldn't, he, if we were doing thumbs up, thumbs, thumbs down, he gets like a, maybe a thumb halfway up because he got the win, but it, was, it wasn't impressive, but look, he's a name heavyweight and, and he's going to be in line now for some other more significant fight because he is a former title holder. He does have a track record. He has fought lots of good opponents. He usually makes good fights, the Massey fight, notwithstanding. And uh, you know, for Joe Parker, it accomplished the goal, which is, let me get back in the ring off that terrible knockout, uh, get my head straight, get my win, and uh, move on to the next. Uh, the next, And that's exactly what he did. All right. Uh, good enough on that. Let's back up one step on the Fight Freaks Unite recap because the Showbox main event had a dramatic finish where David Stevens, super middleweight, uh, prospect out of Reading, Pennsylvania, surprised favorite Sean Hemphill, fellow unbeaten prospect, uh, at 14 and 0 out of New Orleans, uh, knocked him down twice, knocked him out. TKO stoppage with just a couple of <clears> seconds <throat> remaining in an eight round main event. Again, not championship caliber fight, but still an exciting finish on Friday and worth a Rayfield take. The floor is yours. Oh, absolutely. Look, that was the quintessential showbox main event. Number one, we talked about that on the preview. Uh, I always tip my hat to the people at Showtime, especially my man Gordon Hall, who is the executive producer. Showbox has been his baby from day one. Um, He lives and dies by the mantra. Let me take the prospects and match them with their toughest opponent and see what happens. They're not afraid if a guy loses. There's no house fighters. They just they want to try to make good quality matchups. I've known Gordon a long, long time. And, uh, you know, this is this is his passion. This is what he does. You know, he, he he spends a lot of time. Uh, thoughtfully going over the types of matchups. Obviously, he doesn't have access to every prospect because they don't work with top rank. They don't work mm-hmm. with matchroom, et cetera, golden boy, whatever. But the point is there's a lot of other young fighters out there looking to make their bones in this business. And one of the best ways you can do it is to get an opportunity on a great series with longevity and a fan base like Showbox and go out there and structure stuff. And that's exactly what uh, what he did 
what David Stevens did on that fight, an unknown fighter who was unknown no more, at least to the diehards, because mm-hmm. he scored a spectacular victory in a good fight, a very good fight, um, you know, as good of an eight-rounder as you're going to see probably. And even though Hempel lost the fight, uh, and it's his first defeat, he was 14-0, now he's 14-1. you telling me you wouldn't want to see him back and get another opportunity on Showbox or sure. some other broadcast? Did I mean, it I think surprise that, you absolutely. that the cards revealed that Stevens was winning on all three of them by three points? And so essentially... He wins the the eighth round with the knockdown. He didn't need the knockout. I thought that was a bit surprising that it wasn't maybe a little closer. Yeah. Where that last round would have mattered. It turned yes, the dramatic knockout is the story, but it turns out it wouldn't have mattered. He had won but, the decision. But that's what the, that's why I that's why I don't endorse or support open scoring because I want the drama sure. to be there. If he knows he's ahead, we're not going to see that kind of drama. And I love that. And leave no doubt. You don't know that. Sure. He didn't know that. Leave no doubt. You can get him out. Get he, him out. If we That's... knew and he just cruised to a decision, yeah. we would not be talking about him today on the podcast. Agreed. Because it wouldn't have been the dramatic, spectacular knockout. So it didn't shock me he was ahead. But that much, I was a little surprised. I mean, I can't really make a huge argument against it. But when you don't know that you're ahead and you go there and you get a Amen. knockout. It remind, again, I'm not trying to compare the caliber of fight or the significance of the fight. And this one I'm about to mention did not end in a knockout, but let me uh, tell you. Years ago, I covered a fight at the uh, at the uh, in Connecticut at one of the casinos at the Mohi- at the uh, where was it uh, Foxwoods at okay. the Foxwoods Casino. Turned out to be the fight of the year that year. It was the great cruiserweight championship fight between uh, Jirov and Tony, and it was a very tightly contested fight. Just an incredible back and forth battle. And pretty much everybody at ringside, and we all kind of thought, I'm going back later and seeing the broadcast, everybody thought on the HBO broadcast this was a close, close fight. And and uh, Freddie Roach, who was James Tony's trainer, thought it was a close fight also. And there's audio in on the broadcast and screaming at James, you know, you got to put him on his ass now, son, going into the 12th round. Like, you need the knockdown to mm-hmm. get the win. And James Tony went out there in the 12th round and put him on his ass, Jirov. And it looked like he secured a close victory. As it turned out, the cards were much, much wider, and he wouldn't have needed a knockdown, much less a knockout, to get the victory. But we didn't know that, and it provided mm-hmm. incredible drama to culminate the fight of the year to many people. And so, again, I'm not saying Hempel and Stevens are on that level, obviously, but there was great drama, and it was, I mean, for my money, uh, TJ, one of the more memorable Showbox fights you're going to see. They've been around 20-some years, 22 years, I guess, the Showbox series has been on, and they've had some good battles over the years, obviously. But there's nothing that truly like immediately comes to my mind like, oh, my God, that was like an all time classic. I'm not saying this is an all time classic, but as showbox fights go, man, this was as good as it gets. In the last two or three years, that's as memorable a knockout. Yeah, I can't think of another one off the top of my head that comes that way of of exciting as exciting a KO in the final seconds. And again, I agree with you on the drama, on the unknown. I just know this. If you're a boxing fan and you read or you hear or you see something and say, David Stevens is back in the Showbox main event or on some other show, you're like, I'm watching that fight. Because oh. why? He just made a dramatic fight. And by the way, the same goes for Hempel because he's got nothing to be ashamed of. It was a tremendous fight. He got stopped. So be it. He lived to fight another day and hope he can come back and, uh, and learn from uh, what happened in that fight and then go on and have himself a good career as well. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Fair enough. All right, let's get to some news before we wrap it up here. And there is plenty, uh, by the way, and there's also some nostalgia that we're going to get to that we have to get to. All right, the first thing is is something you uh, wrote on on a Sunday night, and we also have it on the BigFightWeekend.com website. And good for Tim Zhu and good for working this out. He will have a fight while he awaits Jermel Charlo to get healthy. Charlo broken a uh, hand, unable to defend on what would have been this weekend 
uh, for the undisputed junior middleweight world titles. So Zoo instead will fight uh, Tony Harrison in Australia in March, it looks like. Tell us more. I like this. I like hearing this. Give me more. Well, I mean, we've been on the podcast before when the injury happened to Charlo and the fight between him and Zoo was postponed. It was supposed to take place January 28th in Las Vegas, main event on Showtime, mandatory fight, been a long time coming. And we were sort of discussing, is Tim Zoo going to take an, an interim fight? Uh, you were very adamant about that he would fight, but it would be against a nobody. My my thought was he would he might fight somebody if it was for the interim title, uh, probably in Australia. As it turned out, uh, he is going to fight somebody. He's going to fight Tony Harrison. And it is, but it is also for the interim title. So it's not like there's no stakes involved. Uh, you know, Zoo hadn't fought since last year when he had the fight with Terrell Gachet on Showtime when he came to the United States. I believe it was back in like March or whatever it was. So he's been out of the ring for a while. He didn't want to go and wait for Charlo because he won't be the the, the time frame for Charlo is to be back to, to for Charlo to be back in the ring is really like Juneish, Julyish. So to go from March of last year to wait till July and then certainly. Uh, going in with a top-notch opponent, you don't want to do that. So you're going to have to take some kind of risk. It is prize fighting. They're taking on Harrison. So credit to Tony, who's willing to go to Australia, who said it last year he was interested to fight Zoo and go to Australia. Now he's getting that opportunity. It's going to be for an interim title, so there are some stakes. Um, the winner of that fight will, of course, be the opponent uh, that will be mandated to face Charlo when he has his first fight after the injury heals, uh, projected for the early summer. But as as interim fights go, you know, that's not a bad fight. I mean, the, 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 the thing that will get a lot of hype, obviously, is that Zoo is waiting for Charlo. And what does he do while he's waiting for Charlo to get better? He's fighting the only guy that ever beat Charlo. Because cool. Tony Harrison, back a couple of years ago, a few years ago, scored, I thought, a controversial, a lot of people thought a controversial victory on a decision against Charlo to take the WBC title. Uh, one year later, they had a rematch. And this time, uh, Charlo knocked him out in the 11th round, and he regained that title and ultimately went on to unify the rest of the division. Uh, but Tony's been a good fighter. For a long time, uh, you know, hasn't hasn't been too active since that uh, loss to Charlotte in their rematch. You know, he's only had, I think, two fights since then. Um, he had a, a very disappointing draw against Brian Perella, a fight where he was really the heavy favorite. That was a big disappointment. And then he had a lopsided win over Sergio Garcia. That was a Showtime fight that was this past April. So Tony's not coming off is coming off a bit of a layoff himself. But, you know, I'm sure he's motivated by the opportunity. Uh, to get this chance to fight a big name like Zoo, at least, you know, on his turf in Australia. And listen, the winner is still going to get to fight for the big boy titles uh, again, you know, against Charlotte for the Undisputed. So, look, I'm glad they're doing the match. I, I I'm, I'm slightly surprised that they did decide to go that route against that kind of opponent. But you know what? Tim Zoo is a competitor. You know, Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. His dad, of course, Casa Zoo, the, the Hall of Famer, the former Undisputed champion at Junior Welterweight. So uh, I'm, I'm psyched for it. I, I You know, they didn't say it in the announcement. Uh, you know, what the broadcast situation was in the United States. I'm assuming it's going to probably be Showtime, given that Zoo's last fight was on Showtime. The Charlotte fight was supposed to be on Showtime. Uh, you know, Tony Harrison is with PBC. His last uh, couple of fights were on Showtime, or at least his last fight was on Showtime. So it wouldn't be a total shocker. It would seem to make a lot of sense, even though they didn't make anything official. But good fight. Good and fight. We should, and we should say one or two other important things. Uh, Tim Zhu, we cannot overstate this. I know you and I are in the United States. He is the premier fighter in Australia. He is the top draw. He has sold out arenas and even outdoor rugby slash soccer stadiums in Australia over the last I don't think he's sold years. out stadiums. He has not sold out there's, stadiums. There's a, well, at least for the boxing configuration, he fought one of those fights that had like 25,000 people at it at an outdoor stadium. Now, I don't know what they considered a sellout uh, for that, uh, for some of those. But up and down the what they call the Gold Coast, I'm doing a little geography, uh, from Sydney all the way up to Melbourne and all the way up the Gold Coast, he's fought in three or four places. I think it's Newcastle uh, that he's fought, and he's sold arenas out and had big crowds even outdoors. I wonder if they might do this outdoors because March is still like fall in Australia. Their summer is right now. Will they do it outside? I don't know. The interesting thing that you reported is that it would potentially be Saturday night in the U.S., so that would be no, sun, sunny afternoon in Australia. Yeah, so, it's not potentially. That that is okay. I, I I spoke to George Rose, who is the promoter. Gotcha. And he told me, or we do. I didn't speak to him on voice, but we texted back and forth that the fight is going to be Saturday night, March twelfth, United States time. I like March, that. I'm sorry, because March eleventh, United States time in the evening. March twelfth, as you said, Australia time. So, so very yeah, good. It's gonna, 
because the reverse would have been if they're fighting in prime time in Australia, it would be early morning here. So it's good that they have that worked out. But that's why my a lot suspicion more will is see it. Yeah. it's going to probably be, I, I don't know this for sure, but that's why it would seem logical it will be showtime because that would mean Saturday night in the United States. And going into the Charlotte fight, which showtime is still on board to televise, why wouldn't you want to do Tony Harrison against Tim Zoo? It fits right in their wheelhouse. It's exactly the kind of fight that Showtime would would want to do, I would think. So I Love it. I uh, texted Steven Espinoza on Sunday. He was probably uh, not paying attention because he's getting ready to watch his Cowboys. Uh, so I didn't hear back from him. So, Steve, if you're listening, no problem. Uh, I'll hit you up on Monday. Um, so, <laughs> But I, I asked him if they were going to do the fight. I didn't hear back from him. But I'm, my right. suspicion is Showtime's going to do the match. All right. Uh, other news. This is disappointing because during the broadcast on Sky Sports, uh, and this is kind of interesting because uh, uh, Josh Taylor and Jack Catterall were sitting near each other in Manchester for the Liam Smith, uh, Chris Eubank card, and at at one point had to be separated. And I don't know how much of it was genuine, how much of it was WWE promo where Catterall got upset, stood up, security guard got in the way, another person got in the way. And I, and I, at least part of this is, I guess, the backdrop that Catterall has found out that Josh Taylor is now hurt. So the delayed fight is delayed even further. He's got an injured yeah. foot. What First of all, what did you make of that? Did you think that was fake news? The two of them kind of squaring off I sitting saw it. ringside I mean, because he knows I, I, I'm now delayed as the challenger again. What did you make of that? I mean, I didn't make it. I didn't make out that it was like planned like that. I think it was stupid to put them together. Number one, uh, number two. Um, I the reason I didn't think it was so much like planned out was because I don't think they knew that the TV cameras are watching them as they're sitting right. there during the course of the fight. So, you know, clearly with everything that's gone down <laughs> between another conversation and the, about the the first fight and all the controversy over the decision. Uh, there's certainly got to be some tension there. I don't. I don't think they like hate each other necessarily. But whatever but the, Taylor the said, tension. my friend, whatever he yeah. said, Catterall reacted and stood up like he was coming at him. Uh, and again, some of this is hype, but but it's just right, it's so. What, what do we know? That, yeah, what do we know? What do we know about how serious the foot injury is? What do we? Well, we know out? that they've announced the press. The, there was supposed to be a press conference tomorrow, Monday, uh, for to announce the fight. Mm-hmm. I'd gotten the alert from, and, and boxers are so ridiculous if they're listening. We all know what the fight was. What are you putting? We're announcing some big mega fight. We we know what the fight was. This is now the second time they put out a press release uh, indicating the announcement of some big fight when everybody knew what the fight was. So it was supposed to happen a couple of weeks ago. And then apparently there was some kind of like rail strike in, in Britain that was going to prevent a lot of people from traveling to get to the press conference. So okay. they postponed it. It was rescheduled for uh, Monday. And on Sunday, you know, after they announced the this situation on the Saturday broadcast, uh, which they talked about on DAZN, I'm assuming they mentioned also on Sky, which was the main broadcaster yes. in the UK, uh, for not only the Eubank Smith fight, but also for the forthcoming Catterall rematch against Josh Taylor. Uh, then they sent out another press release, again, not naming the fight, but saying it was postponed. Uh, sorry for the inconvenience. In any event, it's now the second or third time, anyway, that the fight's been postponed. They haven't fought either one of them since last February when they had their first fight. So, they're going to be going on. I mean, I don't know how long Josh is supposed to be out for, but it's going to be got to figure at least, you know, at least a, a month or two, which means this fight probably doesn't happen until, you know, I don't know what, or, you know, mid spring at the, at the earliest. And it means that both guys are going to probably be coming into the ring off about, about roughly a year and a half layoff, which is very disappointing. It is. Uh, all right, let's get back to good news and another fight in the ring. A few more minutes left here on the recap is Joe Joyce, the WBO interim uh, champ is going to fight. Uh, Zalei Zhang, who we've seen in action, and what do we have for a date? How soon is that one gonna gonna happen here? And you've got insight on that heavyweights, right? So I was uh, conversing back and forth with Terry Lane, uh, the son of the late great referee Mills Lane, who was also happens to be uh, Zhang, Zhang's manager. And the fight, uh, a Queensberry Promotions fight, it will be in uh, the UK, probably in London, and uh, it will be April fifteenth. The one thing that uh, Terry said to me was, look, we're, we're, we have agreed to the fight. We want the fight. We're trying to tidy everything up, but it's not done till it's done. Obviously, he's being uh, um, careful. Nothing, at least when I spoke to him, I guess on Friday or Thursday, whenever it was, nothing was signed, but they were uh, on their way to getting everything squared away. And so if that's the case, that's Joe Joyce. He is the WBO's interim champion, but he cannot uh, stay inactive. He's waiting. Eventually, he'll be uh, in the ring with uh, whoever emerges from whatever happens with fury and who's sick and all that business he's 
uh, going to get a title shot against the W for the WBO belt, but he can't just sit around and wait for it. So he's taking on uh, Zhang Zalai, who was a big man. They're about the same height, six foot six. One, you know, Joe's about two seventy. Zhang's about two seventy five. Uh, they're both silver medal winners, just in different Olympic games. Uh, Zhang is, is a little bit older. Um, he's a southpaw. Uh, you know, he's a big dude, and he's. Uh, I think he's not anything spectacular, but he's a good puncher, and he's he's big, big, big. And it's a, it's a, you know, not neither one of these guys are fast, so it's not like someone's going to have like some crazy advantage on the speed or the movement. They're probably going to slug it out, and you know, from a fan point of view, it's probably a pretty good fight. And uh, I don't know about you, TJ, but I love watching Joe Joyce because he just comes to mess you, you know, just to grind you down and beat you up. That's yes. Joe Parker. And uh, and has scored some impressive wins, uh, sure. including over Daniel Dubois and is in line, as you mentioned, and we'll see what happens with him. All right, a couple more moments, then some nostalgia. Uh, Edgar Berlanga, we talked last uh, Friday as the podcast was released that he is out of his top rank deal, mutual parting of the ways here. Uh, and Oscar De La Hoya is uh, trying to lure him on social media. Everybody's kind of interested. Is there anything new there besides Oscar? Oscar's like on social media a bunch, Oscaring, as well, you like Oscar, to call it. I mean, when we first talked about the separation between Berlanga and Top Rank on the previous podcast, when the news had just happened, uh, I believe it was me that said that, you know, there's going to be suitors out there. You know, the main, you know, and when we talk about suitors, if you're an American-based fighter and you're fighting at that level on TV in the main event and you're, you know, a known guy the way Berlang is, who was a decent ticket seller in New York and that type of thing, you don't have a lot of options because the, the universe is small for the, the the name promoters. You know, you got Top Rank, which obviously he's not going to be with. He just separated from them. And then there's three others that do the bigger shows in the United States for the most part. You're talking about Golden Boy and Matchroom, who are both with the zone, And you're talking about, uh, you know, PBC slash TGB, which Dove does their business on, on Showtime. And so if top rank is out of the equation, that leaves PBC, Matchroom, and Golden Boy. So my thought was Golden Boy is probably the dark horse there. He probably doesn't go to Golden Boy for different reasons. But Oscar popped up on his Twitter feed and said, hey, you know, when, when, I'd love to work with uh, Edgar Berlanga. How big of a fight would it be him against Jaime Munguia at Madison Square Garden? Obviously, Munguia being a Amen. Mexican, Berlanga being Puerto Rican. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think Berlang is ready for that at this point, but, uh, you know, give him another fight or two, uh, you know, against a decent opponent. And, uh, you know, that would, that would be a pretty big and exciting fight. So there's that option, but, you know, I'm told that PBC and Matchroom are interested also to talk, at least to talk about it. And, uh, Edgar Berlanga's manager is Keith Connolly, who is going to sit and, you know, go through the process like any, you know, free agent would in whatever sport and listen to what they have to say, what kind of uh, plans they think they can do, what kind of, Obviously, what's the parameters financially, what kind of opponents, what kind of activity, whatever the deal is, they'll talk about it. And if you're Berlanga, you got to believe you're in a good spot, because even if you're not with top rank, you have Oscar that says he's interested. So right there, you know, uh, Oscar and Eric Gomez from Golden Boy, they'll talk with Keith about it. And and I don't know like when they're going to talk, but I guarantee you that that uh, Matchroom and PBC are going to have a conversation. And the good thing for Berlanga, as I said, is because Connolly has done great business for a long time with both Matchroom and with PBC. He has a very good relationship with Eddie Hearn. He has a very good relationship with Al Heyman. They have worked together on a variety of different fighters. Daniel Jacobs, both at Matchroom and with PBC. Sergey Devrinchenko. He's got some prospects like Rashad Mahdi and uh, Nikita Ababi and Khalil Koh and other guys with with uh, Matchroom presently. Uh, he's had fighters with, uh, with PBC over the years. He had like Luis Colazzo for a little while. He had like I said, Devrinchenko has been there. He's done, you know, a ton of business over there also. So he has a, a good relationship uh, with with the two guys, Heyman and with Eddie Hearn. And so uh, you put the two of those guys with interest. You throw in Oscar De La Hoya into the into the equation, and Edgar Belanga is is a name free agent, which there are not a lot of in boxing right now. So whatever his issues were with Top Rank, and whatever it, it, the case has been in terms of not maybe looking so good in his last couple of fights and getting suspended for the the, the, the attempt to bite his opponent in, the, in uh, his last fight in uh, the summer, you know, he's going to probably wind up in a good spot. So uh, we'll see. That should develop. I don't think it's going to take forever. They're going to want to get Berlanga back in the ring, you know, sometime probably in the springtime. So it's going to, it'll go through the process over the next few weeks and uh, hopefully they'll have uh, whatever the result is a, a good plan for, for this kid's career. All right. Fair enough. And now some nostalgia before we are done. My Lord, am I about to say this? It was 50 <laughs> years ago, Sunday night in Kingston, Jamaica, 
where George Foreman knocked down not once, not twice, but like 27 times, Joe Frazier. Six. Times. Six. I, I, I would have had the over on that. Uh, to win the heavyweight title, I would say to you, uh, and that would be January 22nd, 1973, I would say to you that is arguably the most famous knockout call on a broadcast in boxing because even non-boxing fans know the down goes Frazier from Howard Cosell. So much so that throughout the 90s and the 2000s on my five-day-a-week radio show in Tampa Bay and then later on national radio, Whenever somebody would lose, like you mentioned Espinoza with his Cowboys, you know, when they would lose a big game or you would talk about the Lakers losing or but I would play the soundbite when a fan was calling me down goes Frazier in the background about it. Would you agree with me, Mr. Aficionado historian? That's arguably the greatest knockout call just from a standpoint of it has stood the test of time. 50 years later, people still know that call. I don't know if I say it's the greatest, but it's certainly the most well-known. And that actually was not the actual call of the knockout. It was the call of one of the many knockdowns yes. or like a subsequent the first knock, Like the first knockdown. Well, he started yelling yeah. it. I mean, so it wasn't the actual ending of the fight, but certainly a very famous. <laughs> I'll tell you if you go back, and I know you're going to talk about the HBO broadcast in a second, but if you go back and watch it because it's there on YouTube. Ken Norton is is there with Howard Cosell, and sometimes yeah. Cosell was there by himself, and sometimes he'd have a famous fighter. Norton was in the middle of talking and and Frazier got knocked down by a big left. And that's when Cosell jumped in to interrupt him, screaming, down goes Frazier for the first time. And then it was my my uh, metaphor. He kept bouncing him like a basketball, Dan Rayfield, in the ring in Kingston, Jamaica. So the but interesting- it, also, it has significance because HBO made history that night too, home box office. So a couple of things about that. Number one, yes, HBO, which had a glorious run covering boxing at the highest level for most of my life and has meant a lot to me. And I've obsessed about it for most of my life. They broadcast fights for uh, 45 years from 1973 when they first brought on the HBO uh, boxing franchise, which began with the televising of that fight between George Foreman and Joe Frazier. Obviously, Foreman would go on to later become one of their uh, broadcasters and be one of their commentators for many years when he won the heavyweight championship for the second time against Michael Moore. Uh, it was also on HBO. So yeah, that was the that what that's what brought the curtain up on the HBO franchise of boxing was that famous first fight of that heavyweight title match. Uh, not not the Howard Cosell version of it. I believe it was Don Dunphy that did it for HBO. But uh, the Cosell version was what people saw later on the what most people saw if they didn't go and watch it on closed circuit that night was on ABC's uh broadcast. My World of Sports. Right, night, right. Exactly with Cosell doing he was there doing it, but they didn't show it till after the fact, uh, you know, by a week or two or whatever it was, maybe three or four weeks even. In any event, so the Cosell call became the famous call, but HBO had its very first telecast as, that night. And what I actually, when I, I was having a brief exchange uh, on Sunday, which is when we're taping this, earlier in the day, with uh, Mauricio Suleiman from uh, the president of the WBC. Now that, of course, one of the titles involved in that fight was the WBC heavyweight title. And when Mauricio, this is back at the time when his father, the late Jose Suleiman, was the president of the WBC, talking about how at the time, Joe Frazier, they were trying to do a rematch. Mm-hmm. But the WBC, because Foreman was the number one contender, had pressed the issue and said no on the on the rematch and went forward and uh, and and did the, you know, ordered or forced or however you want to phrase it uh, to do the fight against 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 uh against Foreman, who got his shot at the title. He'd been the number one contender. And he scored as dominating, devastating, bruising, crushing, ass-whooping that you'll ever see at that level, where, like you said, he beat Frazier up. And the thing about it is, and this is why when people talk about common opponents in boxing and what it means if they're facing another guy that fight, you know, fought a, uh, they have a similar opponent from past fights, why it means absolutely nothing. And the, re- the reason why is because the first thing that jumps to your mind is, you know, before Foreman and Frazier met, Joe Frazier defeated Muhammad Ali mm-hmm. in, a, in one of the biggest fights in the history of boxing. Dropped him in the, in, the, in, the, in the fight, one clear decision to keep the heavyweight title. Now you fast forward and Muhammad Ali knocks out George Foreman years later to get the title in the famous Rumble in the Jungle. And then you would expect that it wouldn't be that much of a lopsided fight when they square off Frazier and Foreman, right? Well, 
No, because just because Frazier beat Ali and Ali beat Foreman, what happened? The Foreman beat the living shit out of Joe Frazier for two rounds. And then, by the way, he did it again. He beat him again. Right, right. A lot of people don't even know that. A lot of what you just shared is so uh, keen. A lot of people don't know they fought again and he beat him again and knocked him out again. Um, But that was not a championship fight from the from the it was a regional title fight It was not the world title fight. But uh, that was in Long Island. And that was, uh, you know, that was Joe was at the end of his career at that point. The only I think after that knockout loss in the second fight to to him, we only fought one or two more times. Uh, It did not go well. But uh, yeah, but the the first fight, of course, was the championship fight when uh, that was when George was super scary, George. Not, not, uh, you know, the hamburger hawk and uh, big fat friendly, uh, everybody's best buddy. Uh, <laughs> get grandpa. my grill, get my grill yeah. and reclaim the heavyweight title. I love all that. But yeah, can uh, you believe that 50 years ago? I mean, no, no we didn't, I didn't cover it. You didn't cover it. No, we were, kids. No, we we were, were neophytes. We were little, we were little guys. But the, I mean, again, you could maybe say Buster Douglas knocking out Mike Tyson with Jim Lampley screaming, Mike Tyson has been knocked out in Tokyo. And okay, so that was big. But I'm just talking about crossover, where the average sports fan knows that phrase from Cosell screaming that phrase in boxing. It's it's like the same with Al Michaels and the USA Hockey, Do You Believe in Miracles? That crossed over beyond just a hockey game or even the Olympics that you remember that call. So uh, I just uh, I point that out. And one more quick nostalgia. You mentioned uh, heavyweights. I just mentioned Tyson. You mentioned the lineage of the heavyweights. Mike Tyson defended, is this, God, am I getting, Rayfield, he defended the undisputed heavyweight title 35 years ago on Sunday night, January 22nd, 1988, Atlantic City. Rayfield confirms he did not. Was, that, that was, it, a sun, was it a Sunday night? I don't know if it was a Sunday night. No, I doubt I, it. I think it was probably a Saturday night. Of course it was Saturday uh, night. It was an HBO. That was not even pay-per-view yet. That was an HBO no. knockout by Tyson. Part of, as I continue to point this out, my friend, Part of a run where when Tyson won the title in November of 1986, he fought seven times in 11 months, including this or uh, 13 months, including this fight in January of 88. Seven world title fights in 13 months for Mike Tyson as undisputed heavyweight champion. At this point, he knocked out Larry Holmes 35 years ago Sunday. But the thing about that fight for Mike, is that people want to say, well, Larry was over the hill and he was coming off a long layoff and it was a complete mismatch and all that. He didn't have a a very long period of time to get ready for the fight. So that's true to an extent. So that fight, as you mentioned, that fight between Tyson and Holmes was January of 1988. Larry had not fought since his highly controversial, uh, back-to-back controversial uh, decision losses to Michael Spinks when he lost the title and then the rematch where he lost a split decision uh, uh, in the – in the next fight. So he had not fought for a little while from April of 86 to January of 88. And yes, he took the fight with Tyson a relatively short notice compared to what it would normally have been of a few months to get ready. But the thing that people should remember, Mike Tyson went through Larry Holmes, like a knife through hot butter, that mm-hmm. four rounds dominated won every round basically was beating him up and scored a very impressive knockout. But what people should know is that after that was over, not only did Larry go on and fight for the title again, even though he didn't win, he went something like in the post Tyson days when everybody thought he was done. He went something like twenty one and three after that fight. So after he got knocked <laughs> out, Tyson, okay, I remember writing something about I would have lost money. Larry Holmes fought almost twenty five more times after yes. the Tyson log knockout. Yeah, a lot of them were That's like mind boggling. A lot of them were like the lesser, like nobody kind of let's stay busy. I remember he was fighting on like Tuesday night fights a couple times, yeah, right he, during but, that stretch but, on on USA Network. I mean, this he, is the former heavyweight champ. But he beat Ray Mercer, for example, who was yeah. an undefeated contender at that time. He lost one of the three losses was for the championship against Evander Holyfield. That was in 1992. And then he had that long stretch where he fought a bunch of nobodies. Fair enough. He lost a close decision for the WBC title against Oliver McCall when Oliver had, uh, you know, was at his best, I guess. Uh, and then he fought again some other guys. And his only loss after wow. that was the last loss of his career, which was overseas in. Uh, in Europe where he lost a split decision to Brian Nielsen uh, in that fight. And even after the Nielsen fight in 97, he won like four more fights concluding his great career, of course, with the big win over Butterbean <laughs> in a 10 rounder. But no, the point though, that, that people want to denigrate Tyson and say he never fought anybody. And you say, Larry Holmes say, well, Larry was old and he was done. Well, yeah, but he went 21 and three after he fought Mike Tyson. And so which is it? You can't have it both and, ways. And by and by the way, from 1986 until the loss to Buster Douglas, he fought and beat everybody 
in the heavyweight division yeah. and bulldozed most of them. He had a couple of decisions, but he bulldozed most of the heavyweight contenders and other champions. So there you but go. It was, it on was Iron a very Mike. impressive win for Tyson because yes, as great of uh, and impressive as the win was to become undisputed when he knocked out Spinks in like 91 seconds. Mm-hmm. Spinks was a lot smaller, obviously, and so people didn't really give Spinks him a lot of Spinks was four months later. Are we listening present-day world champions and heavyweights because he knocked out Larry Holmes in January of 88, and then he fought Michael Spinks in May of 88? Right. Well, I'm just making the point that Larry Holmes was a real heavyweight. Like yes. His career was as a heavyweight. Yes. He had been a great champion for a long time, and up to the point before he fought Tyson, his only two losses – granted in his previous two fights were highly disputed uh, losses by decision against Spinks. And so if that's your only defeat and then Tyson blows you away, that yep. shows you what kind of level Mike was on in that brief period of time in the, in the late, you know, in the say 86 to 89 timeframe, 86 through 88 timeframe. You want me to say so, again? Yes, the, fact that, the fact that that fight is 35 years ago, which I still I remember watching live I know. and that Foreman and Frazier won was 50 years ago, which I don't remember at the time, but certainly was during my lifetime, makes me feel old. But as people who follow me on my social media will uh, will see, I'm always very excited when those types of big fight anniversaries come up because it gives me an excuse to to uh, look at my memorabilia. I have a beautiful, very rare, extremely tough to find, high grade program from Jamaica from Frame uh, from For, uh, Foreman and Frazier impossible to find part of the gorgeous, Rayfield collection part of the not Rayfield giving collection. that away how did giving... you how did you get onto that just give me a quick answer how'd you get onto that in the first place did you have somebody that you contacted did you see it somewhere at an auction and that won particular the auction? that particular program which i had looked for and when i say look for it that means auction houses ebay dealers other collectors who i know other people in the boxing realm that also are collectors that i have uh, known through the years you look in all those different places i found that amazingly on ebay seven eight years ago paid a good money wow. for it but happy to have it and then of course also uh, my beautiful uh hard you know big cardboard uh thick cardboard poster uh that that was displayed at trump plaza during fight week for uh tyson versus um larry holmes also in my collection so i love that stuff i love the nostalgia and but the fact that it's that long ago makes me want to throw up uh still time marches on we have our nostalgia and we have those uh, items up on bigfightweekend.com we'll be promoting that as well uh, from uh, Frazier and uh, Foreman and Tyson versus Holmes. With that, my friend, I think we're good on another edition of the Recap uh, Podcast off the weekend. We let everybody know we've got a light heavyweight unification world title fight right back in England this weekend. Artur Beterbiev, the Russian, three-belt light heavyweight title holder. Anthony Yard, uh, a prominent British challenger. Uh, that will be coming up, and this is this is the big moment for Better BF to set up potentially undisputed with fellow Russian countryman Dmitry Bivol if he gets the win. We'll be talking about that later in the week and any other news, etc. Are we good? Are we We're good, good off the weekend? We I are think good. We are. I think we are. My friend, have a good week. We thank you for listening. We thank you for finding us. Uh, uh, follow, subscribe, Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. You get all kinds of great content. We love uh, the insight that Dan gives us. And you can read him on the Fight Preach Unite Substack as well as BigFightWeekend.com. For now, that will do it on the Fight Preach Unite Recap Podcast.